Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and turn with me to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. Genesis chapter 4. Our text this morning will be found in verses 8 through 16. I'll read them in just one moment. And just a little heads up as you keep your fingers in Genesis chapter 4. Turn to almost the last book, second to the last book of the entire Bible, the book of Jude. And just mark that because we're going to be there just in a moment as well. Welcome every single one of you this morning to Big Woods. I have already been blessed upon blessed upon blessed. To think about it, we can sing. We're just singing. I just heard you sing. I heard those words of our unworthiness. We sing of our unworthiness. Why and how could we ever do that? But for the fact that God is worthy. And it's in his name that we gather. And it's, it's for him that we're here. May everything that we say, everything that we do as a church, always, always be founded on the truth of the gospel that brings glory ultimately to God and God alone. I need help this morning as we dive into this text. And you guys are good. You're here to help me, but I need more than just your help this morning. So why don't we bow our heads together and go to the throne of grace and ask God to direct our, our minds and our thoughts and my words this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we are amazed at who you are and we're grateful that you have sustained us for yet another day. And, and you've gathered us together here in one place to lift up our voices in praise to you, to open up your perfect word to speak to us. I would pray, Lord, that we would understand the fulfillment of your promise that says your word never returns void, that it would speak to hearts, piercing even the depths of our souls. Father, I just ask for help, please. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you. May you speak and may your children hear. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful and matchless name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. Okay, here it is. Last week we began and we actually introduced, if you recall, Genesis Chapter 4, introduced to two men, brothers Cain and Abel, who apparently they had been taught by their parents Adam and Eve to worship God by offering back a portion of what God had blessed them with. We know that Cain was a farmer and Abel was a shepherd. However, we learned very, very quickly last week that what? You cannot worship God on your own terms. It is recorded what? Abel offered his very best. He offered the first fruits. Whereas it says, and it's recorded in Scripture, for Cain and his offering, it says that the Lord God had no regard for. You see, what, what, what Cain tried to do was offer what? 
sovereign creator, redeemer of the entire world, the dregs of his leftovers. That's what he tried to do. Let me, let me make something clear as we kind of dive into this. God does not want your second best. Let me say it again. God does not want your second best. Cain did not like the Lord's conclusion. And it says what? That he was angry and his face fell. Cain's face literally showed the condition of Cain's heart. And the Lord gently and actually kindly offers him an opportunity. Do well to repent. And in God's grace, he even warns Cain, if you do not do well, you will be taking the risk of leaving sin. And it says what? Crouching at the door. And its effect upon your life, its consequences will be devastating. Now today we pick up the story. We continue the narrative and it's pretty obvious which route Cain took. Cain left sin crouching at the door. He rejected the Lord's gracious offer and he let his anger fuel the fire and he transferred his anger what and jealousy and resentment toward his brother today as we read this text we will see that not only Cain suffers the, the devastating destructiveness of sin but he, we also actually see that he begins to whine and complain he sulks about complaining about the consequences of his own actions it's preposterous. Here's, here's, here's the word of the Lord. Genesis chapter 4. Let's pick it up in verse 8. The words will be in front of you on the screen. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. <clears throat> the word of the Lord. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed killed him then the Lord said to Cain where is Abel your brother he said I, I don't know am, am I my brother's keeper and the Lord said what have you done the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground and now you you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand when you work the ground it will show no longer yield to you its strength you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth Cain said to the Lord my punishment is greater than I can bear Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Two points I want to give to you this morning. The first one is this. 
the way of Cain reveals the heart of man. The way of Cain reveals the heart of man. As you may recall, some of you, last week, I introduced to you a term from the New Testament written, what, 4,000-ish years after this particular event. And it's in Jude and verse 11. And, and what the author is describing false teachers and troublemakers. He's describing malcontents as those, and here's the phrase, who walked in the way of Cain. 4,000 years after this event, to think of it, Cain's actions are so grievous, he is still today being used to describe what a life against God looks like how how bad is that let's look at it this is what we call this is what we call stark simplicity there's really not a lot of details at all Hughes says it like this haste and violence pulse in this short description you and I we want more details let's get the dirt Twice the word brother is used. It says that Cain spoke to his brother. Well, what did he say? We don't know what he said. I'm just guessing it wasn't very brotherly. It wasn't very nice. And it also says that Cain rose up against his brother. To, to think so that this is, not, this is not just murder here. This is not just homicide. It's also what? It's fratricide literally is what it's called think about this this is this is what from the same parents they had the same upbringing they ate the same food and lived in the same house no doubt there were similarities in their hair and their eyes and their skin tone they would have wrestled together and raced together as brothers would have and, and brothers should have and you have to remember this, this is before the days of technology. So, so what? Distance is not an option here. You can't shoot someone from afar. There's no bomb to bury so that he steps on. Instead, what had to happen here is he, what, he either had to take a rock, pick up a rock, and, and, and bash his little brother's head in. Or maybe he took a sharpened stick and he ran him through. We don't know. Or worse yet, maybe, maybe he used his own hands to strangle him. E either way, it had to be. It had to be up close and personal. Blood-curdling, blood-thirsty. This is pure evil. This is evil upon evil. Sure, sure. There was anger here, and, and he hated God. He hated Abel. But what happens here is that the anger that he has toward God is directed toward Abel. Dietrich Bonhoeffer rhetorically asks and answers the question, what? Why does Cain murder out of hatred for God? The whole thing started, what? Because God said, no, no, that's not acceptable. That's not right. Isn't it interesting that today, even when we hear the Lord tell us, no, don't go there. 
No, you can't do that. There's something that wells up inside of us. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3 says, When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. So Cain knew that he couldn't murder God. Cain knew that he couldn't hurt God. And so, so he did what his depraved mind thought best. Or should I say worse? He murdered one created in the image of God. You, you realize this. Anger toward God is often manifested in anger toward others. You ever, you ever meet a miserable man before? A miserable woman before? Yeah, we all have. What's interesting here is that it, it doesn't really, it doesn't take much. The line is just going a little too slow. And Mr. Miserable thinks it's his responsibility to what? To fuss and to fume and to cuss. Or maybe someone forgets, they honestly forget to use their blinker. It happens. And what? Seething anger erupts. It's actually called road rage. How dare they forget to use their blinker? It doesn't take much in a doctor's office, and the prognosis is not good. So what? The doctor gets attacked. The order at the restaurant is not perfect. So Mr. Miserable thinks what? Let's embarrass and let's humiliate. It's, it's his place what? To write the nasty review. I'm going to set these people straight. Don't ever do that to me again. And yet, in all honesty, it's not really the restaurant's fault here. It's not really the blinker. It's not the doctor's fault. He's the messenger. Something bigger is happening. What? It is a conditioned response of a heart that is living in rebellion to their creator. It's a conditioned response. It's innate. It's within of a person that lives in all-out rebellion to their creator. And you do realize this before we ever before we ever raise our own fists in fury over Cain. Cain, how could you ever do that? No, know this. Know that deep within our own hearts, deep within my own heart, exists what? The very way of Cain. Deep within our own hearts exists the very way of Cain. You flip to Jude's account. And, and it, it continues on here in these verses describing those that are in the way of Cain. It says that they're abandoning themselves for the sake of gain. And he uses what? He uses actual events, Old Testament events, to describe this. Balaam's error from Numbers 22 and 25. Korah's rebellion from Numbers chapter 16. And then the author uses words like this to describe these type of people as hidden reefs. Waterless clouds, fruitless trees, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves casting up foam of their own shame. Wandering stars. For whom, and, and listen to this in verse 13, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved 
forever. This speaks of what? This speaks of judgment. The gloom of utter darkness. Reserved forever. And listen carefully to the strict judgment that await those who rebel. Who shake their fist at God when God simply tells them, no, I'm sorry, that is not acceptable. In Jude chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And then he lists them. Things I'm sure that you could only say, well, this is how other people behave. He lists them. These are grumblers. Oh, that must be someone else. That's certainly not speaking of any of us. Malcontents. Just not enough ice in my glass. I don't know what this is. You expect me to drink this water? There's not enough ice in the glass. Malcontents. Following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed. I've, <laughs> I've met a few. I'm sorry. Boasters. Yeah. Got the trophy case at home when I won the seventh grade what? Sack race. You want to come see this baby? Showing favoritism to gain advantage. What, 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 is, what is happening here? Something that we see in Scripture, and it's very obvious. Here it is. How, here's, here's how we summarize what we just read. It is very obvious. You do not mess around with the holiness of God. You do not mess around with the holiness of God. God, this is a clear description of the judgment that awaits. And he goes back to what? Cain is the proof text for this. And yet, what's interesting today is that is exactly what is happening when many people shout, and I hear it regularly, why can't I worship like I want to worship? Why do I have to worship like, like he says, why does God always have the final say? Why does he get to set the rules? We hear that all the time. Why must I listen to him? Why can't I just live how I want to live? And why can't I just love who I want to love? Thus really revealing what? Every time that is shouted about, revealing hardened hearts that have existed since they were banished from the Garden of Eden. That's what's being revealed when you shout like that. Th think about that. Even when God asks the question, he asks the question, where's Abel, your brother? He's, he's given, this is like he's given Cain an opportunity to come clean. He's given Cain an opportunity to confess, to admit his atrocity, to seek forgiveness. And yet what? Cain would have nothing to do with it. Instead, he actually arrogantly challenges God. Am I my brother's keeper? 
denying, in a sense, any responsibility and showing absolutely no sign of remorse whatsoever. His heart is so hard. And yet, you know what? Am I my brother's keeper? That describes exactly what exists in our own world today. In what? It's a dog-eat-dog world. It's every man for himself. You just climb on the next person to, to get one more rung up the ladder. That's exactly what exists today. So please hear this and please know from the authority of Scripture, this is as clear as I can possibly make it. You will never get away with living like that. Oh, oh you may for a little while. You will never get away with living for yourself. The voice of your brother's blood is crying from the ground. In a sense, what? There is a responsibility that we have toward and for one another. You are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. Cain's heart is revealed. So what? The Lord literally curses Cain with unending punishment and consequence, and it's, it's twofold. The first part is what? It's going to be an increased hardship and toil in his occupation. It says, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. So what God is saying is, regardless of how much you plow, Regardless of how much you're going to fertilize or till or plant or water or weed, you will never fully enjoy the profits of your labor. Why? Because the very ground that ceases to produce fruit has been soaked with your brother's blood. And then there's the second part. That's not even all of it. There's a second part. It's like it's not over. It'll be endless torments and what? Forever wandering in his life. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. In the latter part of verse 12. So it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter how far you travel. You will never be at rest. And you will never fully be at peace. Why? Because you have violated my creative design with insatiable anger. And God says what? No. No, that, that is not right. That will not be. And it's true here because we want, we want more details. It's true we're not given a lot of information about Cain. We know, we know, but we have enough. God gave us enough. We know that he was the firstborn. He, we know that he was a farmer. We know that he thought for a moment that he could call the shots and he was furious and he thought that God was simply being unfair. And this is very evident in the result of his response. Listen to the audaciousness of Cain's statement. My punishment is more than I can bear. Just think for a moment. More than you can bear. What about your little brother? His, his blood... Abel's blood hasn't even been washed off of Cain's hands yet. And Cain is fussing and complaining. You've driven me away. How dare you, God? 
I'm going I'm to be a fugitive, and I'm going to be on the run for the rest of my life. How dare you, God? I'm going to be hunted and hounded. Whoever finds me is going to kill me. How dare you, God? Poor Cain. Regardless of the fact that he bashed his little brother's head in, he is still only concerned about himself. Woe is me. The guy is totally wrecked. He is totally twisted. And he actually reveals the woe is me effect that what? At some level, it's somebody else's fault, but it's not mine that we hear and see all over the place today. He, he's far more concerned with what? With the punishment than the offense itself. Again, the hardness of his heart is revealed. Matthew Henry says it like this. Impenitent, unhumbled hearts are therefore not reclaimed by God's rebukes, because they think themselves wronged by them. And it is an evidence of great hardness to be more concerned about our suffering than about our sins. Isn't that telltale? Doesn't that describe exactly what our world is like today? People are more concerned about the suffering that's going on as opposed to what you have done. In the act of your own heart and heart. Let me, make, let me make something very clear here this morning. God is never, ever, ever. God is never, ever unfair when he wields the sword of justice. His very nature. Psalm chapter 89 and verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So re remember this. God is just and his justice is an indispensable part of his character. In the same way that his love and his mercy are an indispensable part of his character. Without justice what would happen? Sin would run unchecked. Without justice, what? Evil would win. And we know, praise God, that is not the case. Praise God for his perfect justice. Now what's happening here? Forever living as a fugitive. He is, he is being hunted and being hounded. He is running, scared. And Cain says, it's, it's too much for me. It'll crush me. It's going to kill me. He literally says, I am a dead man. And yet here we are introduced to something that I, I believe it's almost like it's beyond comprehension, but it truly reveals the heart and the goodness, the greatness. I would say the grace of God. This is going to crush me. This will kill me. And God, incomprehensible to us, says what? Two words with an exclamation point. Not so. Not so. Here's the second point in closing. The mark of Cain reveals the grace of God. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Oh, let theologians debate this baby for a while. Oh, the conjecture that is out there. And the arguments. We have to know, what is this mark? 
I got tired of the list. A tattoo, a birthmark, a particular haircut. Someone said it was a dog that was with him the entire time to protect him. A glowing halo. I'm voting for like a dunce cap personally. People ask me what is it? And we have a Q&A. So like the little QR code, Q&A, and we'll, we'll discuss. But you're going to hear me say it again, okay? One of our favorite movies to watch every single Easter time is the movie Risen. And one of my favorite characters in that movie is Peter. And the answer to like, what's the mark, is actually answered in that movie in a total different context. And Peter says it like this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He goes, we're followers. He tells us where to go. And we follow. Which means what? It doesn't matter what the mark was. What matters is that there was a mark. Revealing what? Even in the midst of all-out rebellion, the grace of God still abounds. In the Old Testament, what? It is very obvious. Numbers chapter 35 and verse 16. The murderer shall be put to death. If you continue on reading throughout some of the law in the Old Testament, there are 18 different reasons why a person should be put to death. 18 different reasons. Murder is one of them. God had the what? God surely had the right, right here, to put Cain to death, and it would be perfect justice. Yet what? This is the understanding that it's beyond our comprehension. God shows grace to even let him continue to breathe. So just pause for a moment on this. Think about this. Cain equals what? There's sin, there's murder, there's death, there's consequence, there's sweat, there's exhaustion, he's running, there's danger, and in the midst of all of that, there's still grace keeping him alive. Think for a moment about our own lives. Think about us. Scriptures are very clear in the book of Romans in chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6 continues on and tells us what we know this. The wages of our sin or what our sin actually earns us is death. Praise God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 doesn't end there. Yes, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. As the four people today, Catherine and Maria and Caleb and Kenan, identified in front of everyone. I'm what? I'm in Christ. I'm with him. I'm dead to self. And I desire to live and walk in the newness of life. You realize, like Cain, it's only by God's grace that you and I are kept alive for one more day. And this is so important. kind of looking at this correlating text. Go, go back again, and we'll close with this in Judah. It says this. Listen to how important it is. Jude concludes this letter of, of warning in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, 
This is us today. This is how we have to live, praying in the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Keep, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads us to eternal life. And what? Have mercy on those who doubt. Don't get angry. And what? I love this. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So think of it. We are here yet for one more day. Why? So, and here's our application. So we are to be built up in the faith. We listen and learn. And we have questions. And we're like, I don't understand. Help me. Help me here. We pray in the Holy Spirit. We keep ourselves in love. We wait for his mercy. And what I love this, we snatch others by snatching them out of the fire, which means what? You are your brother's keeper. You're here to speak the grace of God into those lives that what? Are in fury around you. Sadly, like Cain, our, our punishment is also more than we can bear. But I am so thankful that there's one who took my punishment, who was stretched out on a cross, and, and he was suffered, and he was humiliated, and he was beaten, and, and he was ridiculed and mocked, and he was nailed there. And as he what? As he literally bore the full weight of his father's wrath for your sinful actions and for my sinful grossness in my heart. He bore the punishment that was too much for us. And now we have the blessing, the privilege of being reminded what? It's in faith. We accept this gift of grace in the work of Christ alone. It's not a list of what you need to do in order to hopefully make your way to get a parking spot in heaven. It's, it's not that. There's no works. By grace, you are saved through faith. It is a gift. You know, I, I struggled as I was writing this message, and I was excited about the celebration of a baptism and, and just a wonderful day to be together. And, and we're looking at a subject of, like, bashing someone's head in with a rock. Like, how? Like, how? And, and yet, to, to understand in the depths of our own hearts, we shake our fist in fury at God all the time. When he tells us, no, I, I, don't, I don't want what's left over. Just keep it. I don't want half of you. I reminded each one of the kids, they're not kids, sorry, the young people that got baptized. I reminded each one of them, I said, just want to let you know, you're going to get all the way wet. You're not going to get a little bit wet. You're, you're all in here. Everything that we do. Because whether you eat or you drink, everything we do, do it for the glory of God alone. It would be a miss for me uh, to close without these words, and so I must leave you with these last words of Jude chapter 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time, both now and forever. Amen.